You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Bayshore. Good to see you guys. What a great crowd we've got today. It's so good to see everybody. So great. I'm so glad you're here. Seeing some new people back uh, that are back uh, after getting over COVID and all that. It's so good to see everybody. Hey, I want to say something to this campus here. One of our favorite people, Bill Redlinger, is here today. Bill's birthday is today. He just turned 70. Would you stand up, Bill? Bill, uh, just uh, I want to say a big celebration. Just hope I look that good when I'm your age. I'm not that far from there. But anyhow, it's good to see you, Bill. And so good to have everybody with us this morning. And our Fenwick Island campus, we love you guys. We're so glad that you're a part of this weekend. And we just love Fenwick Island. Would you give Fenwick Island a big hand? We love you guys. Pastor Jeremy and everybody at Fenwick Island, Joel and Brigida and the whole gang there. So grateful for them. And also we want to uh, welcome uh, WGMD Radio 92.7. Thank you for being a part of this weekend. I wanted to mention just before I start today, I have my new book is out today. And I'll be at the, signing copies at the end of the service. And it's called uh, Hope in a World Without Hope. I wrote this during covid and uh, I feel like the Lord really uh, laid on my heart to encourage people. And this is a, I feel like the Lord really anointed me to encourage people with hope. So this is a very readable book. Uh, it's about your, uh, you know, your personal struggles with your relationships. Maybe you've lost hope in some of your relationships. Maybe you've got a recurring habit that keeps going on and on. You lost hope about your habits. Or maybe you look at the world and you see how awful the world is. And you just feel like the world is just going down. But this book is a, a book of hope, and uh, be glad to sign copies for you. They're $10 or two for 20 So anyhow, you can buy one today. So <laughs> love to have you uh, meet me at the end of the service. Well, today we're in our series, uh, actually part four. This, my son Joel spoke last week on, uh, on 1 Corinthians 13. We're in this great chapter on uh, 1 Corinthians 13 about love, what love is about, how love works. I'm convinced that our world needs an infusion of love, an infusion of love, how we relate to each other, how we get along with each other, how we communicate with each other. So this is a great chapter, and it occurs in the book of Corinthians, and the book of Corinthians is, a, is to a dis, very dysfunctional church that was filled with factions and arguing and jealousy, and it was a very, very dysfunctional church. And I feel like more and more we're living in a very dysfunctional world. And so Paul's antidote to the dysfunction of the Corinthian church was to talk to them about love, how to love each other. If you have a dysfunctional marriage, a dysfunctional family, a dysfunctional society, what needs to happen is we need to have an infusion of love. And so we're going to be looking today at verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 13, 5. And there is in this chapter, there's 15 virtues of love, 15 virtues of love, seven positive, eight negative. And Paul gives us a picture of what love is about. So today we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 13, 5, and it reads this way. Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. So we're going to look first of all at it does not dishonor others. Now, Many translations, instead of saying it does not dishonor others, it says love is not rude. 
Love is not rude. Love is not ugly or insensitive. Sometimes the translations say it's not unbecoming. So the idea there is that love is not ugly toward other people. It's not, it's not rude. It's not, it doesn't insult. It's not impolite. I'll never forget having uh, lunch with a businessman one time at the Big Fish Grill in Rehoboth, one of my favorite restaurants, and I was there, uh, and there was this guy from D.C., a guy I'd met at a conference, and he was a pretty successful guy, and uh, we had some things in common, and I was talking to him, and we were having lunch, and, and the waiter, waitress came, and she was doing, I thought, a good job, but he wasn't pleased with how she was taking care of us, and he just began to really talk ugly to her. And it was very, very disheartening to me. And he's this sort of high-level, successful person, and he's kind of talking down to this woman like she's a blue-collar peon. And I'd never forget the look on her face and how I felt. Even as I tell the story, I had this sick feeling in my stomach because, you know, there is no human being on this planet, regardless of their social, economical class or their education or their race, that should not be treated with honor. And when it says... Love is not, does not dishonor. It means that we are not treating other people with honor and dignity. So love doesn't do that. Love is very, very prone to show honor and sensitivity and politeness to another person that's having uh, maybe a bad day and we just are to reach out to them. So it's a very, very important thing. Now, here's what I think that this teaches us. It teaches us that when we're rude, we're actually diminishing how that person feels about themselves. Now, let me ask you this question. When you have an interaction with somebody over a period of time, when you get done interacting with them, do they feel better about themselves or do they feel worse about themselves? Sometimes you talk to people and they make you believe in yourselves. They make you believe that you can do anything. They make you believe that you're a valuable, worthwhile person because of how they talk to you. When you talk to a person, you can either elevate their value of themselves or you can devalue them. That day when we had the, uh, the lunch at the Big Fish restaurant, that woman, I'm sure after her conversation with this man I was having lunch with, I'm sure that she did not feel very good about herself because of how he talked to her. Now, it's important in our marriages, when you have a marriage, how you talk to your spouse and if you are honoring of them. And I don't know if you've ever had you know, a bad day and you're a little tired and you've ever been rude to the person you've been married to? Has that ever happened to you? You know, I'm sure nobody here that's ever happened to, but Karen and I just got back from Florida. We went down there to have a, you know, a little getaway in Florida. And by the way, they've canceled COVID in Florida. I mean, they have canceled it. It's like not happening down there. So it was really interesting. But, um, we were coming back on the day we came back on Monday, and we were trying to catch some earlier flights to get back. And, and you know how it is when you travel, you get a little tired, you know, from meeting those deadlines. And we're running through the airport and trying to get our gates, and because we changed our schedule up a little bit. And uh, so we finally get our car, uh, and we're driving out of BWI, and it's late at night, and we haven't had anything to eat. And, you know, you're tired and you're hungry and you're traveling with your spouse. And Karen is driving and I'm running the, you know, the, the uh, Waze app and I'm trying to tell her how to go. And, and we're going along and we're coming. I mean, it's pretty simple to get out of BWI. But, you know, somehow I was telling Karen we should, you know, you know here we need to make a turn up here. We need to stay straight here. And Karen took a turn when she shouldn't have taken a turn. 
And remember, we're hungry and we're tired. And, and you know, Jesus was not really elevated in our minds at that point. And I remember thinking, you know, wow, she took a wrong turn. It's going to take longer. And, uh, but here's the thing. I said, uh, hey, honey, I think we took a wrong turn. Now, what I was thinking inside was stupid, 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 stupid. <laughs> and uh, I didn't say that. If I had said stupid, 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 I would be hitchhiking on Route 97. That's what would be happening. <laughs> but, you know, being rude... You know, here's a great thing about that little story. I had feelings that were inadequate and they weren't right, but I didn't act on those feelings. I said the right thing. And here's the thing. Psychologists, good psychologists will tell you this. They will tell you that feelings are not wrong. Feelings are not a sin. And sometimes we, you know, feel bad about how you feel, but it's the behavior that is what the problem is. And I, I think about, when I think about that story, I think about what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 21, verse 22. Here's what he said. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. And by the way, the Sermon on the Mount was Jesus giving teaching on a mountain. And remember, Moses got the law on a mountain. And this is like the second law. When you read the Sermon on the Mount, he's giving you the real version of the Ten Commandments, the spirit behind the Ten Commandments. And here's what he said. You have heard that it was said of people long ago, you shall not murder. That's one of the Ten Commandments. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable in court. What does Raka mean? Raka, I'm sure nobody here today, you know, this week said to somebody, Raka. But Raka is a Aramaic word that means empty-headed. It means an airhead. It means a person that's stupid. You don't call anybody stupid or an airhead or a blockhead. Jesus said, if you do that, if you take your words and you take your words and you say, Raka, airhead, dull person, not smart person, if you say that, if you make a person feel that, well, you, you are going to be accountable for that. So how I talk to my wife, how I talk to people I work with, how I talk to the staff, how I talk to people in my world, I will be accountable. I'll be answerable in court if I call someone raka or empty-headed or airhead. And then he goes on, he says, he goes on to say, again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, raka is answerable in court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Anyone who says to his neighbor, you fool. Now, the word fool is moros, moros in the Greek, and we get our word moron from that. So we want to talk to people with dignity. When we talk to people, love is not rude. Love does not dishonor people. Love is not crude. Love is not impolite. Love is not an insulting spirit. Love is a spirit that builds other people up. And when I talk to somebody, when they get done interacting with me, do they feel a higher value about themselves or have they devalued themselves? That's an important principle for us to remember. One more scripture in Ephesians 4.29 on this point. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. The word unwholesome is the word rotten. It's, it's a rotten fruit or putrid fruit, rotten fruit. Don't let anything rotten come out of your mouths, but only, listen to this, what is helpful for building others up. 
building others up. What I say to another person, am I elevating them and building them up? When my grandkids come over, I try to talk to them so I make them feel good about themselves. I tell them how talented they are. I tell them how much I love them. Elevating a person. Do my words help others or do they hurt others? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Let's say it together. Say it with me. Do not let any. Everybody say any. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful. Say that with me. But only what is helpful for building others up. So here's the thing. Look at every person as if they are incredibly valuable. Now, I have a little uh, display here. This is a, one of my favorite possessions that I have in my office. I bought this in Athens, Greece. Uh, Karen and I, we were in, uh, on a mission trip to Albania. I think it's, Albania is the second poorest country in Europe. We were there helping with some feeding programs a number of years ago. And anytime I went anywhere, uh, I went to Albania a bunch of times, but I always went to Greece every time I was there because I wanted to go to Athens. And I've been to Athens a bunch of times. And in Athens, one of the things that's famous about Athens is, is that uh, that whole region of Greece is what they are known for is raising olives. And they produce olive oil. And that goes back for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, way back to the time of Christ and Paul. And they, were, they would make these vases to, to ship the olive oil in. And there got to be this competition of painting these elaborate pictures on these vases. And uh, so it became a big, uh, big competition. And I'd studied that. And when I got there, I went to a store, a special store, and I bought this uh, olive oil vase. And I have it in my office. And it's one of my, my most valuable possessions. I'm not sure how much it costs. I don't remember how much I paid for it. But to me, it's very valuable. And when I, when I brought it down here tonight, I, or this morning, I wrapped it in, 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 a, in a towel. And I carried it very delicately. And I, this is such a valuable thing that I would never kind of like toss it around. I just hold it very valuable. And every person that you talk to is like an expensive vase. They're delicate. And you want to handle them with care because they are of great value. Every person you and I talk to, our spouse and our children and our coworkers and the people that we interact with in this world are very valuable. So say this with me. Everybody has immense value and my words need to handle them with tender care. So that's the first point. Love is not, uh, it does not dishonor others. Now here's another one. It says here, it says this, it says, love uh, is not self-seeking. Love is not self-seeking. Let's put 1 Corinthians 13, 5 on there again. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not, love is not a me first kind of person. Love is not self, does not dishonor others, is not self-seeking. So that's the thing about love. Love is what Jesus said. Jesus said, I did not come, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but the Son of Man came to serve and to lay his life down as a ransom for many. So my mentality in life has to be not a me first attitude. And uh, here's a great scripture to go along with this. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. This is a great scripture. One of my favorite scriptures in all the New Testament. Here's what it says. Philippians chapter 3 says this, or 2, 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, listen to this, 
and humility value others above yourselves. Let's read that together as one big church this morning. Uh, one, two, three. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. So that's, this is what love is. Love is about valuing other people. Now, how does it work out in my life? Here's how it works out in my life. You know, I do a lot of my work at home in my, in my home office, and so when I'm in my home office writing, I'm a very task-oriented person. I am a type A, uh, sort of melancholy with a little splash of sanguine in me, and I am a very, very task-oriented person. And when I'm locked on a task, it's like a, I'm like a heat missile. I'm locked, locked on a task. And sometimes if you are a highly task-oriented person, you may be a person that is, has blinders on toward the needs of other people. So I have to really work at that. And here's how it works for me. Karen goes to the grocery store. I'm in my office. I'm working. And she goes to the grocery store, and she, does, you know, she goes up there, and she buys all the stuff we need. She keeps our grocery inventory intact. So she does all, the, all of that, and she pulls in the driveway. And when she pulls in the driveway, I have two choices. Choice number one is I can pretend that I did not hear her come in the driveway. And I cannot confirm or deny that I've ever done that. So I can stay focused on what I'm doing. I see her come in. And then if I do that, she's going to come and rap on the door. Honey, can you empty the, or, uh, empty the SUV with the groceries? Can you bring the groceries in? And I go do the groceries. Or, or I see her come. And I see her pull in, and I say, man, I'm getting out there. I open that door. Before she ever gets out of the car, I'm there ready to help her. Now, here's the brilliance of this that I figured out. I'm going to have to do the groceries either way. <laughs> you know, it took me a while to figure that out. I'm going to have to do the groceries either way. So why not get some really good marital points and go out there and meet her? Love, love is not self-seeking. Here's the thing. Love wants to make other people's lives easier. Love wants to make other people's lives better. Love wants to make it easier for other people. Love wants to elevate and help people in their life. Lack of love is, what about me? What about me? Jesus said, let this attitude, or Paul rather said, let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In humility, he valued others above himself. Now, I've told you this story a bunch of times. Karen and I were just down in uh, Destin, Florida, and that's 70 miles from where we lived for three years. We lived in Pensacola, Florida, when we went to Bible college, and we went to Pensacola and rode around uh, and went to our old house, and we went to the college we went to, and all that. And so when we're in Pensacola, uh, I go by Brownsville uh, Baptist Church. And I told you one day, I, I, when I was in college, I took a piano tuning course, uh, actually four semesters of piano tuning, so I could learn how to tune pianos so that, you know, hey, if things didn't work out with the preaching thing, I always had a backup, you know, thing to make some money. So I took this course, and I had to go practice tuning pianos 
Uh, and there was this uh, church not too far from us. There's a picture of the church, Brownsville Baptist Church. We rode by it. That educational building there, the second floor when I lived there, was filled with old pianos. I don't know why they had so many old pianos, but our neighbors went to that church. So we, I used to go up there in that second floor educational building, and I would tune pianos for hours. And one day, I came out from practicing tuning pianos, and I came out on the street, and there was my 1971 green Thunderbird car, and it had a big flat tire on it. And the flat tire was, I think, the back tire, and I had never changed the tire on that particular car before. And I'm like in the trunk, rifling through all the stuff, trying to get everything, you know, figure out how to do this. And then there was a little white car that kind of sped down that road there, and it was uh, my friend Marty Glennon. Marty Glennon was one of my classmates at the Bible College, and he had been a Vietnam a veteran, and he fought in the Vietnam War. He came back. He was very depressed. He was an alcoholic, and, uh, and then he met Jesus, and he came to Bible College, and he and I used to ride to school together. And Marty pulls up beside me, and I'm trying to get this car, you know, car tire changed, and Marty said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm trying to change this tire and he said, come on, I'm going to help you. And he popped out of the car. And I said, Marty, what are you doing? Where, where are you headed? He said, I'm on the way to the Bible college to make up a test, to take a test that I need to make up. And uh, I said, Marty, hey, listen, don't worry about me. I'll figure it out. You've got to go ahead and take your test. And here's what Marty said. This is the takeaway point. Marty said, I care more about you than I care about taking my test. Now, maybe Marty wasn't ready for that test. Maybe that was the real issue there. <laughs> but he said, I care more about you than I care about taking that test. Now, that's what, that's what love is. Love is not self-seeking. Say it with me. Love is not self-seeking. One more time. Love is not self-seeking. One more time with everybody from Femic Island, everybody here at Millsboro, everybody online, love is not self-seeking. So this week, our assignment is simple. Our assignment is how can we make the lives of other people better? Not how can we make our lives easier, but how can we make the lives of other people easier? What would happen in America? What would happen in Delaware? What would happen in Maryland? What would happen on the Eastern Shore if everybody took that mindset that we're going to try to make the lives of other people better? Now, the last thing we're going to cover with a little bit of time we have here this morning, we can't get through all these in, in verse 5, but it says, love does not uh, is not angry. Love is not angry. Let's put 1 Corinthians 13.5 on the, on the board again. 1 Corinthians 13.5. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It is not easily angered. Now, that's a big one, isn't it? That's a big one. You know, have you ever gotten angry? Have you ever gotten angry on Route 1 in the summertime? How many just like didn't even, you didn't even act like you're a Christian? I mean, on Route One. I mean, you just like you lost your salvation. Somebody pulling in front of you, and you know, and you're like, oh my gosh, and you're just struggling with that. And you know, we, we have it in our marriages. Sometimes we're we're terse with each other. We're we're angry with each other. We're we're not we're not kind to each other. You know, should I mention even the political realm of how much angst and anger is in our country? The Bible says that love is not easily angered, but in our culture, we are so easily angered. We're so easily angered. We are so opinionated. 
We are so sure of ourselves and we are so overbearing that there's so much anger and angst in our culture. But love is not easily angered. It's patient. You know what the great thing about 1 Corinthians 13? 1 Corinthians 13 gives us a picture of what Jesus is like. You know, you've ever, you maybe have wondered, you know, what did Jesus look like? You know, Jesus has been on the cover of Time magazine for 16 times. And you got the Shroud of Turin that may not be a real thing. It may be a medieval uh, fabrication, but we have the image that some think is the image of the face of Jesus. We don't know what Jesus looked like. But 1 Corinthians 13 tells us what he's like. And Jesus is not easily angered. When I sin and when I miss the mark and when I uh, go astray in some form or fashion in my life, when Jesus talks to me, he never talks to me in anger. He talks to me in love. He convicts me because he loves me. Love is not easily angered. It is not easily angered. Now, here's the thing about anger. I've been thinking a lot about anger, and I I think anger is something that if you're a type A person, uh, goal-oriented person, uh, maybe you can be a little angry sometimes. And I don't know where you are on that continuum, but here's what I've discovered about anger. I've discovered that anger is never the problem. Anger is a secondary emotion. Here's what one person said, that it's a cover-up emotion. Here's a, uh, a quote about what anger is, and this is the uh, description of what anger is, and it says a, it's a cover-up emotion. I think we have it on the screen here in a minute. If we don't, I, here it is. Anger is a cover-up emotion. It always is covering up a true emotion. It is often called a secondary defense mechanism and is used to cover up true feelings. So when you are angry, you are not really seeing the real problem. When I was a kid, uh, I lived in western Sussex as I, when I grew up, and uh, there was a farm you know, next door to where I lived. We lo- sort of lived on a farm. We had horses and uh, farm fields all around us. And uh, my friend li- lived down the road. He had, lived on a big farm, and I would go to his house, and we'd go, we'd go lizard hunting lizard hunting, those little racing lizards, those little blue uh, racing lizards. And we would, we would look under boards and bricks to find lizards. So, you know, we never found lizards running around the yard. You always had to, you always had to pick up a board and you pick up the board and there'd be a lizard and you try to catch the lizard. And we'd, we'd spend hours doing that. Anger, when you have anger, you got to go lizard hunting. You got to look under the anger to see what's making you angry. It's never, it's never, you know, somebody comes to me and says, I got anger problems. I always say, you don't have anger problems. You got something else that's bothering you. So anger is a cover up emotion. Here's what Dr. Phil said. Anybody ever watch Dr. Phil on TV? Uh, I love Dr. Phil because he and I go to the same barber. Uh, It says this, (laughs) anger is nothing more than an outward expression of hurt, fear, and frustration. Anger is nothing more than an outward expression of hurt, fear, and frustration. It's, it's underneath you've got hurt or fear. Sometimes people are, are, are angry because they feel afraid, and that's a big thing. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of feeling incompetent? Your wife is saying, hey, you didn't do this right or whatever. And, and so you get mad and angry. And, and what your anger is, is that you're feeling incompetent and you're wondering if you're an incompetent person. And basically, your real issue is incompetency and insecurity. Or it could be guilt. 
Sometimes people are angry at themselves for something they've done, and they've been thinking that way for years. They feel guilty about themselves, and they're mad at themselves, and they are, consequently, anger comes out toward other people. So you've got to think about, what am I angry about? What am I angry about? Love is not easily angered. And so we have to say, Lord, show us what is going on here. Is it some hurt? Is it some depression? Is it something underneath that? then it's making me edgy and angry and giving me a hard time. Now, this week, I had a moment when I started feeling angry. And uh, I don't know if anybody else had any moment this week when you felt angry. It happened to me on Wednesday. It was about 3 o'clock, and I was working at home, and I had a Zoom meeting with my doctor Good luck getting a doctor to see you these days. You know, I like wanted to go see my doctor. I got this thing going on with my thyroid. My numbers are funny or something. And so I wanted to see my doctor, but they want to do a Zoom thing. So, hey, what am I? You know, evidently, what am I? I'm nothing. So anyhow, so not complaining. Uh, Well, it is a little bit complaining. I'll confess that later. But anyhow, so I'm like getting ready for this Zoom meeting, and I, I have these questions written down. I'm working at home. Remember, I'm working at home. I got, I'm a task-oriented person, and I'm working on my sermon, getting on this talk ready to, to minister to you guys so you learn something about Jesus today. And I've been, I was working on it, and I've been working on it for a couple of days, and you know, on and off. And, and uh, right before the Zoom call, right before the Zoom call, it looked like I hit the delete button and deleted my whole message, and I did, didn't have it saved right. And I just had like a paragraph left. And I knew that's not going to last me but like two minutes, you know. So I thought, oh, my gosh. And, and I was just really feeling it. I mean, I was like, oh. two things came together at that moment. Extreme frustration because all my work had gone up in smoke. And the other thing was I got this Zoom meeting that I was a little nervous about. I was anxious. And so these two things came together and the doctor's coming on. And I couldn't understand a thing he was saying. You ever have that? I don't, I, I mean, I'm listening. I got my ear against the, the, the monitor. I could not understand what he was saying, but I was trying my best and I was trying to get it and work it out. And so I was feeling anger and I, I didn't show any anger, but I felt the anger. Remember this, feelings are not wrong. It's when you express those feelings that become wrong. Say that with me. Feelings are not wrong. Say it with me. Feelings are not wrong. They are just feelings. It's okay. It's okay to feel human. Turn to your neighbor right now at Fenwick Island and here at Millsboro. And if you're at home, you know, just turn to anybody, your dog, cat, whoever. Just turn to them and say, hey, I'm just human. Just say that to them. Just say, I'm just human. I am just human. So I was talking to the doctor, trying to figure things out, and went through that whole thing. And while I'm doing that, I'm feeling this insecurity. And I said, Lord... Please help me to find my work. Help me to be able to recover it. And I'm listening to the doctor. And when the doctor call was finally over, uh, you know, I went and uh, I was able to recover my work and get this message together so I could take Wednesday off, Wednesday night off, and be with my grandkids. So it all worked out. It doesn't always work out, but it did work out. Here's the thing: when you feel anxious and anxiety, many times anxiety, many times is is the foundation for our anger. We are anxious about something, and therefore we're angry. So the question is, when you're angry, what am I feeling anxious about? When I was feeling angry, 
anger, it had to do with my anxiety about losing all my work and what was going to happen. And so my issue was anxiety. And so I took my anxiety. The Lord said, Lord, I was actually saying this to the Lord while I was talking to the doctor. I said, Lord, I am anxious about this. I can't believe I've done all this work. I lost all my work. Lord, please uh, help me here. And I took my anxiety to the Lord. Here's what it says. Cast your care on him because he cares for you. Cast your care on him because he cares for you. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request to God. Anxiety making me feel angry. I dealt with the anxiety. Lord, I'm feeling anxious about losing all this. I need you to help me, Lord. Even if I lost this, you're going to have to help me, uh, you know, get through what I have to do. So remember your anxiety. Anxiety is a big issue for some people. I remember when I grew up and I grew up, you know, uh, across from my grandparents. My grandparents lived across the field from me. And so I loved spending time with my grandparents. And my grandparents had this, uh, they, they lived in a little farmhouse, and they had this beagle dog. And the dog was older, and the dog's name was Spot. And Spot had a bad attitude. Spot had anger issues. Spot needed therapy. Spot really had a problem. And my grandparents said, don't go near Spot. Spot will bite you. And my grandmother, I don't think this is going to anybody going to relate to this. She said, don't bother Spot. He's over there on the Davenport. Now, the Davenport is an old word for the couch. So I never forget my grandmother. Don't go over near the Davenport. Don't go over near the Davenport. Spot's there. Of course, we all went there and, and Spot bit every one of us. He bit every one of us. He bit me. He bit Denise. He bit, bit Debbie. He bit everyone. And I am my theory, my psychoanalysis of Spot is that Spot was insecure on his Davenport. And when we got too close to Spot, he felt threatened. And Spot's real problem was not, was not anger. His real problem was anxiety. He was afraid. And when it says love is not easily angered, it learns to walk in the security of Jesus. You know, if you, you walk in the security of the Lord, that he loves you, he's going to take care of you, he hasn't left you. If you've sinned, your life is not hopeless, he can forgive you and give you a new start. Your anxiety and your fear, he can help you with that. And here's the amazing thing. You deal with all of your anxiety, you deal with all of your fear, and magically, your anger goes away. Love is not easily angered. Love does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. Hey, listen, I want to close today with praying for you to feel the security of Jesus. The band's going to come. They're going to get ready to lead us in a song. But I want you to lift your hands right now. Everybody at Femic Island, everybody right here, lift up your hands. I'm praying over us right now for a spirit of peace in these crazy, crazy times we're living in. Some of us, I think Americans are more edgy than they've been in 50 years. We're so edgy. 
We're so angry. We're so frustrated because we're filled with fear. We're filled with anxiety. And so we're lopping each other's heads off. Now, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that there will be an impartation of your peace. This week, doesn't matter what doesn't go right, you got our back. Doesn't matter what we can't control, you're in control of everything. Doesn't matter what seems to be making us afraid, you said, fear not, for I am with you. God, we thank you. We receive your peace today in the name of Jesus, the peace of Jesus. We receive it. Would you lift your hands? As your hands are lifted, say, Lord Jesus. Say it with me out loud. Lord Jesus, I receive your peace. You are the Prince of Peace. I receive your peace in Jesus' name. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus, we ask you to right now just say, Jesus, come into my life. He'll hear your prayer. He'll hear your cry. And he'll come in and put your broken heart back together. And we thank you for your love and your mercy in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.